Ooh, welcome, if you dare, to the sixth episode of L.A. Unmastered. It is I, your hostess with the mostess. Ah, a Beetlejuice reference. Ah, 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 ah. Wait, is that a Dracula laugh? All right, I forgot what movie I was in. But it's me, your ghoul, L.A., being creepy. (laughs) Like I said last time, I love autumn. But aside from the perfect chill in the air, the leaves changing colors, the absolute best part is spooky season. I love Halloween. It is probably my favorite holiday. Who doesn't love to play dress up? I usually go all out if I can. But this year... It'll just be me and Jack Nicholson cozied up at the Overlook Hotel. AKA, I'll be watching The Shining on my couch, drunk, while yelling at Shelley Duvall. Now, like music, it is really hard to pick one favorite genre of movies. But honestly, if I had to choose, it would be horror. More specifically, psychological thrillers. There is nothing scarier than the endless and terrifying possibilities of the mind. It's why The Shining is my favorite horror movie. Nothing really climactic happens per se, but it's the little moments of, is this real? Did that happen? Is he crazy? Or can he see what others can't see? That's what I love about it. The unknown, the uncertainty. Horror movies are almost nothing without the score and soundtrack. Well, unless it's a quiet place because the silence added to the intensity for sure. But it's that crescendo of the violin as the door slowly opens that gets your heart to race. Then the diminuendo when it was a false alarm, only to hear a loud burst of sound out of nowhere when the killer makes their move. But since the screen scoring champion here is my editor, Zachary Mezzo, and not myself, I will focus on what I know. So I want to discuss some of the best horror movie soundtracks and how that music shaped those films. We're also going to get into what I like to call the horror music genre surge in the 90s. What's that, you ask? Who knows? But I promise you, I will explain. So if you're not a horror movie fan, it's all good. I promise you, the only thing scary in this episode, like always, is my singing. I know I said last time that the next episode would be about folk music, but the way that quarantine life is set up. (laughs) So the next episode for sure will be folky as fuck. I decided to only have one episode this month because I was just going through it. The beginning of October started wonderfully. I was feeling the autumn spirit hard. I was ready to begin celebrating spooky season and start a 31 day horror fest. 
But like every month that has existed previously in 2020, it all took a turn. Last time I recorded the episode, it was announced that there was a state of emergency in Louisville, Kentucky, ahead of the grand jury announcement from that trash-ass attorney general. Well, guess what? Only one cop was charged, and it was for property damage because the bullet holes in the neighbor's wall. AKA, if all his bullets would have been fired at Brianna, he wouldn't even have been charged. So Brett Hankinson was being punished for not being more thorough and murdering this woman while she slept. Apologies for the bluntness, but this is what it really is because saying wanton endangerment is nonsense. But things took a somewhat promising turn. On the 28th, a grand juror from the case filed a complaint. They stated that they weren't provided all of the evidence and were requesting the tapes to be released. And on Friday, October 2nd, they finally were, even after Kunarin tried to delay it. The tapes are damaging. Vice News reporter Roberto Aram Ferdman listened and discussed the tapes. I'm usually questionable about Vice, mostly due to their dude bro culture, but Roberto has been doing the damn thing during this case. We have learned that the attorney general is a liar, no shit, but that evidence was withheld and many of the jurors' questions were ignored. This is major. I was infuriated, but not surprised. However, it made me hopeful. I have put all of my energy out there so that Brianna will receive justice and her spirit may finally rest peacefully. But of course, this is 2020. So as soon as I managed to flip it and reverse it, on October 4th, another cop shot and murdered another unarmed black man, this time in Wolf City, Texas. Jonathan Price decided to be a good Samaritan and intervened when he saw an altercation between a man and a woman. When the cops arrived, they, of course, assumed Jonathan was at fault, so they tased him. When his body convulsed, you know, because of all the volts of electricity running through his body, prick-ass, trash-ass cop, Sean Lucas, perceived this to be a threat somehow. So he shot and murdered Jonathan. Now, no one was talking about this story. No one. Then, instead of the tragic event that occurred, people began talking about Jonathan Price's past Facebook post. Jonathan was an admired and respected member of his community. Nonetheless, he was clearly dealing with a lack of self-love. I read the post. Yeah, if I knew him and read that shit, I would have gone off in his comments. But when you actually read it, he discusses his positive experience with cops But what he needed to understand was that he was the exception, not the rule. He then writes about his upbringing in which he was taken in by a white family because his parents abandoned him. So I'm already seeing some deep-seated issues. Then he makes a comment about his addiction to white women, which, my goodness, not to speak ill of the dead, but I can't spin that shit. Only to say again, it's about lack of love of self and your people. Finally, he states that he knows racism exists. It just hasn't been his life experience. Yeah, it's irritating as fuck. But at the end of the day, Jonathan needed some serious therapy. This wasn't a hateful man. This was a hurting man. As black people, we can all agree that we have been born into a society that disrespects us at every turn, that belittles us, that tells us we are not beautiful or intelligent, And we will never amount to anything more than living up to a stereotype. Not all of us are strong enough to ignore and overcome. Like I said last time, 
It is that addiction to assimilation as a means to solve the issues at hand. Jonathan Price was no Attorney General Coonerin or Ben Coonson. He wasn't actively speaking out against and hurting us. In fact, he still managed to help his people. In this war we are in, no man left behind has to apply to someone like him. Y'all avid Christians be out here trying to preach the gospel, but are really turning your back on the prodigal son. It was appalling to see our people say that he got what he deserved. This is what he gets. Jonathan did not deserve to die like that. And I hate to say it, but he is unfortunately a prime example of no matter what we do, no matter if we follow the blueprint of a docile Negro, they will still murder us. And what's even crazier to me, but not surprising, all those all lives matter and blue lives matter freaks, where the fuck y'all at? You're so quiet. Isn't Jonathan what you wanted us to be? He did what y'all asked and yet he was still murdered by the police. But yet y'all ain't got shit to say because y'all are out here substituting all and blue lives for only white lives. Let's keep it funky. I was very happy to hear when I returned from my phone break that Sean Lucas was charged with Jonathan's murder. Now, I pray we get that conviction. I really did spiral after Jonathan's murder. It set me off. So from October 5th to the 12th, I turned my phone off and stayed off the internet. I would turn my phone back on twice a day to check my voicemails and see if I had any urgent text. But that was it. Real talk, I had one cheat day on that Saturday. I went to Instagram, watched like one story, then saw that I had 12 DMs and immediately logged out. Went to Twitter and it took 1.3 seconds before I closed the app. It was all so overwhelming. A lot of people have been talking about that documentary, Social Dilemma. As someone who has been working in that field for almost a decade, I will tell you right now, nothing in that documentary is wrong. There's a quote they use, and I cannot remember who originally said it, but it is, if you are not paying for the product, you are the product. The way that these algorithms learn you and your behavior is actually creepy as fuck. Why do you think that the feeds aren't chronological anymore? The goal is to keep you on the platform as long as possible. So your feeds are curated in a particular way, based on everything from your engagement, meaning likes, comments, and shares, to the amount of time you spend on a post or a watch or watch a video. The longer that they keep you scrolling is the more ads they can serve to you. In addition, they can use that data to acquire more advertisers. Social media is a business and never forget that. In addition, it's a branding tool for regular old people as well. People only show you what they want to show you. What you see online is not always a fact. Social media platforms are used as a validation tool for many. And in a time where everyone is home, there is more time to produce content and curate a life that is worth having online. No judgment, no hate. It is truly an addiction. And like I've said before, the contrast of pain and obliviousness is a lot for me to bear. I also want to make this clear. At this point in time, y'all do whatever it is that y'all are going to do. I'm past the point of wear a damn mask. Don't hang out in large groups. Stay home now so we can party later. Honestly, I'm just like, yo, do you. But understand, when I don't see none of y'all for a year, don't be shocked. I'm going to stay in this dimension where there is a highly contagious virus going around. It's like no one's ever seen the movie Contagion. 
as humans, we need to be sociable. We won't truly be able to survive without human contact. I get it. Anyone who knows me knows that I love to be out and about and doing shit. I miss it so much. I know I'm an extreme case as far as how I feel about locking the fuck down. But for me, I'm all about self-preservation. Ain't no event or party worth me risking my life. Not a one. And let me tell you, thinking about me getting my mom sick is enough for me to keep my ass at home. When I quarantined in my room for 14 days after Richmond, it was a lot on my psyche, like messed me up for a bit. I don't want to do that again. And I can't imagine doing that while being sick and fighting for my life. The risks 100% outweigh the reward. A lot of y'all don't live at home, so it's different for you. I get it. So again, live your life. Human beings are a selfish species. By the time we had hit July, I knew we were going to be locked in here for the rest of the year. Like on some real shit, I can't believe I'm watching music venues permanently close because of how long we've been in here. And people are really just like, reopen them. Fuck it. Let's have shows. No, that's not how it works. Stay your ass away from large gatherings, chill the fuck out, and then we can see our faves perform again. But no. You got T.I. and Trey Songs out here hosting their album release parties in packed-ass clubs in Atlanta and L.A., respectively. Not a mask in sight. Meanwhile, T.I. is out here calling himself a leader of the Black community, but yet COVID is killing us at a higher rate and you host an event? Calling Atlanta Wakanda like T'Challa would ever allow that shit. Well, there is a vibranium force field around Wakanda, so COVID wouldn't have even been a fucking factor, which is why we live in the real world and not the Marvel Universe. Hmm, Just wanted to point that out for everybody. And Trey Songz announced on October 6th that he tested positive for Corona, yet he thought it would be cool to be out here partying it up on October 16th. That is some careless and inconsiderate shit, if you ask me. Rona is really out here. On that very same day, we had 62,000 new cases. For perspective, on July 16th, while we were in the thick of it, we had 75,000 new cases. Our numbers have been increasing since the end of September. Things aren't looking good for the holiday season. And what I fear most, that those who are so comfortable and exposed right now will be traveling and visiting family for the holidays and boom, numbers all the way back up. Trust. I want to see my dad. Haven't seen him in almost a year because he's in Atlanta. And my dad is like me. Lock the fuck in. Especially because ATL is a damn free for all right now. This man took up carpentry. Built a whole ass outdoor dining set. This man has been in fintech my whole life. And he's out here sawing. The rest of y'all can find a hobby and stay inside your house too. Like, can we all just chill until the end of the year? We'll party like it's 1999 in 2021. When it was estimated that concerts wouldn't be back until 2022, I was like, really? Now I'm like, yup, that makes sense. I mean, the Flaming Lips may have come up with the perfect solution. They performed in their hometown of Oklahoma City and everyone, including the band, was in a plastic bubble living their best bubble boy life. This is definitely something I'd be down for as long as I can roll my ass all the way back to my car at the end of the night. Until this is perfectly implemented nationwide, it looks like virtual shows it is. 
And speaking of, Kichinata is hosting his first ever virtual concert on Friday, November 6th at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I put all the info in the calendar at launmastercom slash unplugged. So turning my phone off and living in my own reality for a week was wonderful. It was also nice to not hear any news about dumpster or politics. Like legit, I don't care. Why are we still talking about him? Why are people out here fake shocked by the shit he does? He managed to let over 200,000 people die of COVID and y'all are like, he's having a rally two weeks after he was diagnosed? Stop the act. Of course he is. And the vice president debates? Why? Who cares? What are we going to learn? Pence is still a piece of shit and Kamala ain't never going to ovary up and be like, I fucked up in my past. What's the point? Just shut up and let's just get to November 3rd. It's all irrelevant until then. After a week of no news or internet, I came back to something wondrous. That little Canadian troll caught a felony assault charge for shooting the queen of hot girls, Megan the Stallion. It is so conflicting to sit here and be happy to see another black man go to jail. And I'm definitely an advocate of prison reform and ending the horror, horrid, inhumane conditions. However, I'm also about you do the crime, you do the time when it comes to acts of violence, especially against women. I will not waver with that. So au revoir, petit démon. One of the last things I posted before my cleanse was Megan's SNL performance. I only watched for her. Chris Rock was all right. I've honestly never really been a big fan of him. I'm not big on crassness. Like, I like to curse as much as the next man, but he was always just a little too much for me. Also, when I saw that video of him letting Louis C.K. drop the M-bomb, I was like, mm, okay. I knew I didn't fuck with Louis C.K. even before that and before his predatory masturbatory behavior. I remember I started watching his show because it was on Netflix. It was funny and awkward and I was into it. Then I got to an episode where he was discussing the N-word and he must have said it like 10 times in the span of like 10 seconds. I turned that shit off and never watched again. I'm like, homie, what? But to see that Chris Rock was out here like, it's cool for him to say it. I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, Chris Rock's opening monologue was decent. He mentions a lot of interesting things like during quarantine, people are reevaluating, reevaluating relationships, not just romantic ones, but also our relationship with the government. I liked when he said it's like the Democrats don't want to win, which is the fact of all facts. Again, let me just publicly say, Bernie, I'm sorry that the DNC is the fucking worse. I'm sorry you were robbed and dismissed yet again. We are truly a nation of trash bags who do not deserve you. He also managed to throw in term limits, and I audibly cheered for that one. He said that they don't want us to vote, but we can beat this administration if we are all together. And that's the truth of it. There's no perfect solution for our problems right now. Again, we are faced with evil versus eviler. I hate that this is always our choice. But in this civil rights war, we have to agree on the first act which is to get Dumpster out. And that's by any means necessary. And to all y'all thinking that Biden and Kamala are going to solve all of our problems, think again. People are really out here standing these two. How I look at it is, who would I rather deal with as we continue to fight for this revolution? 
for me, it's like Super Mario World. I would rather fight Iggy Koopa last than Bowser. And you Biden stands need to remember that we ain't stopping because they get into office. It's not a celebration. It means that we won the first battle. What I would like to see is us on the actual left, 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 leftists, choose a candidate from day one of this new administration. When 2024 rolls around, I don't want to do this again. In these next four years, we need to dismantle this two-party electoral college bullshit. No matter who is in office, we're going to fight for our freedoms for the next four years. Depending on who is in the White House, our fight may be a little bit harder, but we are still going to fight. Again, I ain't shoving nothing down anyone's throat. Y'all do you. Just be ready to work on November 4th, no matter what. The episode itself was dry, as always. The Drew Barrymore skit was actually pretty damn hilarious, though. And I love the bottom of your face music video. That had me rolling. When Megan said, you want me pulling up to the crib, swallowing your droplets, I fell over. Okay, Chris Rock had me at the end of the video when he reinvented his Baz Luhrmann satire champagne room. Real talk, why do rappers love having Chris Rock in their songs? It's so fucking random. Ugh, I hate to even say this, but my favorite track on My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Artist Unknown was Blame Game, and Chris Rock was the one to close it out. But the best part of the whole damn show was Megan Savage's performance. One, what made me so sad was that she wasn't popping and dropping it like she usually does. You could tell she was putting pressure on one foot more than the other. That breaks me because you know she wanted to wild the fuck out on that stage for her SNL debut. A big fuck you to that piece of doo-doo from Canada once again. Side note, Canada, I love y'all. And I'm all about not throwing the first stone, but he's yours. We got more than enough of our own demons here. Anyway, towards the end of the performance, you heard gunshots as she stood there with her dancers raising their fist. I knew in that moment my girl was going to pop off. In the background was the voice of Malcolm X from the speech he gave in 1962 in L.A. The most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Who taught you to hate the color of your skin? Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Afterwards, you hear activist Tamika Mallory's voice from her speech at a press conference that followed the grand jury indictment. Daniel Cameron is no different than the sellout Negroes who sold our people into slavery. The part that did not play, which I would like to say because it was just so damn good, is you are a coward, you are a sellout, and you were used by the system to harm your own mama. Get him, Tamika. As Megan's performance continues, she speaks powerful words. We need to protect our black women and love our black women because at the end of the day, we need our black women. We need to protect our black men and stand up for our black men because at the end of the day, we are tired of seeing hashtags of our black men. Everything about that was everything. This 25-year-old woman is such a fucking force and I'm so grateful she has evolved into this artist who can be and do it all. 
And I think what really set me off was that she said this. And then the very next day, Jonathan Price became another hashtag. Although little troll man reaping the consequences of his actions was a win during my time away, there was also some sad news from the week. Eddie Van Halen died on October 6, 2020, at the age of 65, from lung cancer, which had unfortunately spread to his brain and throughout his body. Now, Eddie was the lead guitarist in Van Halen, and in my honest opinion, he was the guitar solo. During the emergence of hair me- the hair metal era, what began to follow the bridge, which is my favorite part of any song, was an epic guitar solo. I just love when an instrument sounds like a voice. Like, think about it. In Sentimental Mood, John Coltrane and Duke Ellington aren't singing, but it's like you can hear the harmony of voices. So good. Guitar solos are the same idea for me. The voice is a little heavier and louder, but you can hear the love, passion, and pain come out of this wooden box with strings. Now, Jimmy and Prince are guitar solo gods and knew how to break it all the way down. Speaking of Prince, gotta give it up to Wendy Malvoin because her solos are legendary. And, of course, my man Slash. Not only does he play from his soul, he looks damn good doing it. But Eddie Van Halen was on some next level shit. I was not a huge Van Halen fan, but as I got older, I loved the history of hair metal and the scene. It was rock star madness to the max. Like, I may or may not have been a groupie back then. Real talk, after watching Dirt, I was like, I definitely would have been a groupie back then. (laughs) I mean, and knowing what we all know about Tommy Lee from that video, hell yeah. We also learned we would have needed to wrap it up, strap it up, you know, safety first. Anywho, back to Van Halen. Most people know the song Jump. Jump! And Eddie's guitar solo in this is so good and elevates the song. It starts at 2 minutes and 17 seconds. Then, of course, right now, right now, in this track, Eddie's solo comes in at 3 minutes and 20 seconds. I had no idea that Sammy Hagar made this song to address the issues going on in the world. Interessante. For me, nothing will ever touch his solo on Beat It by Michael Jackson. What a combination. This is what made me know the name Eddie Van Halen. I remember learning this randomly. I honestly want to say it was pop-up video. Pop-up video. Okay, Zach, I know you're listening to this as you edit and you're like, what the shit is that? Well, for you and the rest of the youth listening, this was a VH1 show that played the music video and little bubbles would pop up on the screen with interesting facts. The 90s was an excellent time for music. Anyway, this solo is one of the baddest of all time. Everybody's heard it, everybody knows it, and everybody loves it. Eddie comes in at 3 minutes and 11 seconds, just when homie in the all-white suit jumps off of a speaker, I think, and ties his arm to another dude to have a knife fight. (laughs) What? Oh, man. Like, for real, I really miss the music videos of the 80s and 90s. The creativity and ridiculousness made for outstanding entertainment. Eddie, may you rest in peace and may the music carry you for eternity. In other sad news, Tom Parker, who was a member of the group The Wanted, was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. He is only 32 years old. I'm truly so sad to hear about this, not only because he's so young, but this man is so talented. 
Now, The Wanted is actually one of my favorite guilty pleasures. Actually, just recently, I posted Glad You Came as a tune of the day. I'm definitely not a pop person, haven't been since late 90s, early 2000s. But these young British and Irish gents snuck into my ears and hearts. Glad You Came is such an upbeat love song. My universe will never be the same. I'm glad you came, came, came. You cast a spell on me, spell on me. Okay, anyway. Um, and then there was the clubhouse banger, Chasing the Sun. We've only just begun. We're finally chasing the sun. Oh, 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 oh. Brings me back. And on I Found You, they hit that falsetto, which I will not do, on the chorus. How do you not love that? Sending so much light to, the, to Tom Parker, his family, and friends. To keep me distracted during my internet-free sabbatical, I dived headfirst into Peaky Blinders. Excuse me, I mean Peaky Blinders. I watched the first season when it came out a few years back, but I never got back into it. The time felt right to reconnect with my boo, Cillian Murphy, a.k.a. Tommy Shelby, So I did. And I'm so glad that I did. That show is bloody brilliant. I have clearly now acquired this weird accent and I tend to say fucking before most things now. I fell in love with England the second time I went back in 2011. It is a place I always wished I had been able to live. And hey, it's never too late, bruv. The only drawback of the peaky fucking blinders is that every series has only six episodes that are an hour long each. Oh, I'm sorry. For my non-fake Brits, a series in England means season. FYI. With that said, it took me exactly one week to blast through the entire show. After it was done, I was left wanting more and now I have to wait. But it was almost like the universe gave me a sign that I needed to continue my journey on the other side of the pond because Netflix released The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is set in the fictional town of Bly in, you guessed it, England. Now, if you have seen The Haunting of Hill House, you will recognize the cast. The show, not really its content, but rather concept, is similar to that of American Horror Story, in which Ryan Murphy uses the same actors to tell a different tale. I will not give away any spoilers, but I really enjoyed the direction of this season. There were a lot of gems in there if you pay attention. It was a beautiful ghost story. All right, that brings us to the end of Unplugged, but I do want to leave you with some horror movies to watch. So, okay, on Netflix, you got Hush, which stars Kate Siegel from The Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor, and it's an absolute must. Really, really interesting concept. A very well-made home invasion movie. Would You Rather, starring Brittany Snow, is also a twisted psychological horror movie. It is a bit intense. Gerald's Game is super messed up, and it stars my girl, Carlo Gugino. She's been my fave since Sin City. I also really like The Invitation. Like Would You Rather, it is about a fucked up dinner party. But unlike Would You Rather, the reward you get at the end of The Invitation is not money. It stars Logan Marshall Green, a.k.a. Tom Hardy's doppelganger. He was also the lead in Devil. And it stars legit one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen. And I don't want to ruin her name, but it's Amayatsi Evett Cornildi. For those of you who watch Ballers, she plays Candace Brewer. I don't, but I know a lot of you do. Only other place I've seen her was when I also blasted this show called Evil on Netflix this week. 
I only watched it because it starred Michael Coulter, a.k.a. Luke Cage, and I could stare at that man all damn day. But he was studying to be a priest in this show, so he was celibate. It was really a waste of a lusty watch. But the show wasn't half bad. Poltergeist, a true horror classic, is also available to watch on Netflix. Definitely check out Green Room, which is a punk rock, fuck Nazis horror thriller. It stars Anton Yelkin, who I truly miss all the damn time. And if you're into alien movies, I highly recommend Dark Skies. It's creepy as fuck. This one stars Felicity, a.k.a. Carrie Russell. Oh, and Vampires vs. the Bronx is absolutely incredible. Finally, on Netflix, watch The Babysitter and the recently released Babysitter 2, Killer Queen. They are great horror camp films. With that said, on Prime, you can watch Cabin in the Woods, which is another awesome campy horror movie. It is stereotypical in the best way, but manages to be creepy and hilarious. It's a cross between Evil Dead, which is also on Netflix, and 13 Ghosts. Both are also great movies to watch. I won't spoil it for anyone, but my favorite part of Cabin in the Woods is when Chris Hemsworth is on the bike, and I'll leave it at that. Another creepy kind of funny horror movie is the Child's Play remake starring Aubrey Plaza and Little Rel. If you're looking to be scared as fuck, Silent Hill is a must, but absolutely terrifies my soul. I want to watch it again so bad, but I cannot watch it alone. And when you're done watching it on Prime, you can watch the sequel on Netflix. Not as scary, but decent. If you're looking for a good vampire flick, 30 Days of Night has always been my jam. Love this one. Josh Hartnett forever, baby. I randomly watched the Collector movies a few years back. The first one is really so damn good. It's a bit Saw-esque, but I dug it. The original Resident Evil is also on there. Watched that the other night. BT Dubs, did anyone play Resident Evil 4 on GameCube? When I tell you that game used to give me nightmares, like I had to stop playing it. It was bad. It messed me up. Okay, another really good movie is Crawl, which is that alligator movie that came out last year. It's actually pretty damn good. You got Ari Aster's Hereditary and Midsommar on here. I've only seen Hereditary once because that shit creeps me the fuck out. And I cannot watch that alone either. Um, so Blumhouse just released a collection of Amazon original movies. Gonna dive into those ASAP. If you're in the mood to watch a horror documentary, Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror is available for the time being. I will actually be digging into that doc later in the show. And finally, if you have Shudder like I do, they got the OG Halloween and the OG Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mayhem was dope. Gave me Belko Experiment vibes, but with a viral twist. Monster Party is a great one, and I also really enjoyed Revenge. But trigger warning on that last one, it involves a rape scene. Just to be clear, it's hard to watch movies that feature sexual violence against women. However, I do love watching motherfuckers get what they deserve in the most brutal way. I.e. Last House on the Left and the I Spit on Your Grave movies. If you're looking to have a Rob Zombie horror movie night, Shudder has House of a Thousand Corpses, so does Netflix, by, by the way, Three from Hell, and 31, which I'm going to watch tonight, I think, and they have his 2007 version of Halloween. I could literally just sit here and list horror movies to watch all day, but I think that's enough for right now. Since the only Christopher we acknowledge is Wallace, on October 12th, we celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day. 
All of us in North America, especially, better recognize and acknowledge that the land we live on did not belong to any of us except the Native Americans. We are all immigrants by will or by kidnap, except for them. When we talk about inclusion in all industries, particularly music, we must include the indigenous community. They are the least represented people in this country, which is the most heartbreaking form of irony I've ever heard. For this episode's Uncharted, I'm going to hype up some indigenous musicians. First up, we got Leah Flanagan, who hails from Darwin, Australia. She is very proud of her Alawar, which is basically Aboriginal, Irish, and Italian ethnicity. As far as her voice, it is soulful with hints of folk. She definitely reminds me a little bit of Duffy. Not the voice per se, but the flow of her music. You can also hear a little Nora Jones and Cassandra Wilson. On her track, Love Like Water, she gives me mini Ripperton vibes for sure. I think my favorite of hers that I've listened to so far is Damage. The melody is slowed down, very jazzy. She says, nothing ventured, nothing gained. In my mind, I escape so you can tear it down. So now the damage is done. Should I be graceful? Should I be grateful? So now the message is clear. I am no longer fighting fears. Let it out, girl. In early 2020, Leah spoke with SouthbySouthwest.com and had this to say. Indigenous music is not a genre. I've noticed so often that audience places more expectations on indigenous artists to live up to an outdated stereotype of what they think the artist should be, look, and sound like. And that is real talk. Black musicians discuss this all the time in regards to the urban categories. Tyler, the creator, gave an amazing speech at the Grammys a few years back in the press room. The Latinx community discusses this with reggaeton and Latin trap being boycotted from the Latin Grammys and being placed into the urban category. Jay Blavin and Daddy Yankee are strong proponents of this. Even the regular Grammys has it as Latin pop album or Latin rock or alternative, lumping several artists from a variety of genres into two categories. Musicians are musicians with their own genres. Why limit it in such a way? Leah is such a soulful jazz singer of indigenous descent. Her ancestral history shouldn't determine her genre or place her into a box. Her latest album was released on October 16th and it's called Color by Number. And that's color, O-U-R. For more information about her, visit her website at leahflanagan.com. And that's Leah, L-E-A-H, Flanagan, F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N.com. Listen to her music on Spotify and Apple Music. Follow her on Insta and Facebook at Leah Flanagan Music and on Twitter at Leah underscore Flanagan. Emily Wiramara is a folk singer from Groot Island, which is an island in the Northern Territory of Australia, about 50 kilometers off the coast. And her people are the Warnindilyagua natives of Groot. She has been writing music since she was nine years old, but in 2016 was when she really blew up with her EP Black Smoke. The title track is such a perfect melodious folk song gives me everything depth and vibrato i definitely put her in the category of corinne bailey ray and phoebe bridgers the chorus melts me black smoke riding in the sky tonight everything will be all right if you let go 
Humans gathered in the place tonight. Everything will be all right if you let go. Hearing that, especially now, what I wouldn't give to be drunk around the fire with my friends, just letting go and embracing the moment, miss those perfect nights. But real talk, sometimes you just have to let go and have faith. What you will see on the EP is that she also sings in Anandilyakwa, which is the native language of Groot Island. I have never heard this language before, and it is truly so beautiful. I could listen to her sing in either language for hours. I very much enjoy her song, Black Moon, Black Sea. It's a sad song for all the brokenhearted. It's so damn relatable. She says, I would have crossed the Pacific Ocean. I would have swam all those seas to see you smile, to see you happy. But I guess you ruined it when I saw she made you happy. Damn. And she has this song entitled Black Boy, because remember, the indigenous people in Australia are a part of the diaspora. It goes, black boy, black boy, your skin is your pride and joy. Black boy, black boy, your life is not destroyed. I love to hear it. Check out her website at emilywuramara.com.au. And that's Emily, E-M-I-L-Y, and Wuramara is spelt W-U-R-R-A-M-A-R-A. Check her out on all platforms. Follow her on IG at Emily Wuramara underscore and on Twitter at Emily underscore Wuramara. Snotty Nose Res Kids is a hip hop duo, Young D and Young Tribes, a part of the Heisla Nation, hailing from Canada. Their music is upbeat and filled with meaning. Rappers I can compare them to are Danny Brown, Kendrick, and a little bit of Odd Future mixed in. These dudes can fucking beast it on a flow. They came out with their very first album in 2017 called The Average Savage. Of course, some people were stunned by the name, but they break it down on their Bandcamp page. We call ourselves savages, redskins, and Indians. Some people hear this and underestimate us. They don't think we understand the origin and the weight of these words. We have reclaimed these words and stripped away the harm they were intended to carry, the hate and ignorance they thought we didn't notice. When we say average savage, you better believe that means we are the most brave indigenous warriors out there and there's nothing average about us. Our people are survivors by force. We've injected clips of movies, cartoons, and media into our track list to point out how this racist shit is engraved into our minds as kids. How normalized it was for us to hear stupid Indian and kill the savages. When we interact with these slurs, we are confronting them, deconstructing them, and regurgitating them to create our own impressions that exemplify us as the strong, creative, and intelligent savages we know ourselves to be. Can I get an amen? Amen! This is something that every Black rapper should understand. Shit, this is something the whole Black community can understand. Whether you have made the M-bomb a part of your vernacular or not, you understand that why many of us choose to reclaim it. I loved reading that. Northern Lights on the album is also poppin'. It is very swaggy. You can definitely bop and slide to this. 2019's I Can't Remember My Name is perfect for all you trap lovers. The flow is fire. 
There's not enough money to make. Yeah. Give a young savage a break. Yeah. There's not enough food on my plate. Yeah. Give me a reason to play. Yeah. Creator, just let us go cray. Yeah. I can't remember my name. Yeah. The best is when he's like, Nietzsche game, Nietzsche game, Nietzsche game. Moccasin tan on everything. Oh, I love that. And Nietzsche is indigenous slang and it basically means friend or homie. Check out their music at snottynoseskids.bandcamp.com and that's snotty nose and then res is r-e-z as in zebra kids k-i-d-s their music is also available on spotify you can follow them on twitter at the res kids and that's the res r-e-z kids and on ig at snotty nose res kids last but certainly not least is Shutezcat martinez He is a 20-year-old hip-hop artist and activist from Boulder, Colorado, who fights for the rights of the Mexica and indigenous people, as well as the environment. He mostly rhymes in English, but also flows in Spanish and Nahuatl, which is the native language of the Utu Aztecan people, who are the indigenous people of southern Mexico and Central America. His mother, Temra Rosk, is the founder of Earth Guardians. Reading the mission statement for this organization makes me cry. I'm not sure exactly why, but it was absolutely moving and beautiful to me. Earth Guardians is an intergenerational organization with youth at the forefront that trains diverse youth to be effective leaders in the environmental, climate, and social justice movements across the globe. Using art, music, storytelling, on-the-ground projects, civic engagement, and legal action to advance solutions to the critical issues we face as a global community. I think it's because the organization understands that the youth move differently, and they are our literal future. If the youth don't have a seat at the table, what's the point? Shutezka is the youth director of this organization in addition to being a seriously dope lyricist. His rhymes will shock you. It's hard to believe he is this young. His flow is similar to Logic, but the content of his tracks give me feels of Black Thought and Talib. I absolutely love One Day featuring Isa. He rhymes, I'ma make it one day. Take your damn time till you find your own way. Been a minute, sky's the limit. This industry a game and you know that I'ma win it. Running in the rain, hands in the ground, renegade radical, lost and I'm found. The way I resonate with those lyrics right now, especially where I'm at in my life, like I'm going to take my own damn time. I'm lost and will be found. First time I heard it, it touched me for sure. He just released his newest album, Runway Tapes, on October 16th. I'm loving El Cielo and I'm pretty impressed with my Spanish skills because I could understand most of what he was saying when he started rhyming in Spanish. Escucha mi amor, tengo mucho que contar. I was like, oh, he's like, listen, my love, I have a lot to tell you, okay? (laughs) And Cielo means sky, but in this case, he's referring to it as heaven. In this song, he's talking to his love about his ancestors and the history of his people and how mi gente trying to get by. Definitely a vibe. Find Shutezcat's music on all platforms. Visit his website at shutezcat.com. All right, now stay with me for the spelling. It's X, as an X-ray, I-U-H-T, as in Tom, E, as in elephant, Z, as in zebra, C, as in cat, A-T, as in Tom, L, dot com. 
Oh, and learn more about Earth Guardians at earthguardians.org. And find him on all social media platforms at ShootestCat. To learn more about these uncharted artists and to listen to their music, please visit launmastered.com slash uncharted. Instead of shouting out some Black-owned businesses this week, I would like to inform you about the situation in Nigeria and provide ways on how we can help. On this show, I speak on the fact that COVID and racism are both pandemics. However, whereas in America, racism and police brutality are connected, that's not really the case around the world. Police brutality is a pandemic of its own proportion. As we saw in Hong Kong and now in Nigeria, the police and people are majorly of the same cultural and ethnic background. So what is it? Well, when your government pumps an endless amount of money into the police force to keep them outfitted for war and allowing them to have free reign with no consequences, you get an army of authority-drunk, power-hungry bullies. So what's going on in Nigeria? Protesters have hit the street all over the country to put an end to police brutality, especially from the special anti-robbery squad, SARS. This squad was formed three decades ago as a special unit of the Nigerian police as a means to prevent and stop violent crimes like armed robbery and kidnapping. They were like undercover cops who rode in unmarked cars and were allowed to operate covertly. However, in the last decade, they have committed murders, made unlawful arrests, engaged in extortion, and the other usual corrupt cop shit. What sparked the protest? Footage was shared of these trash-ass cops beating to death a man in Nigeria. Then the protests began, and these cops somehow still managed to kill 10 people. Police brutality at a police brutality protest sounds kind of familiar. Then on Monday, October 12th, President Buhari said that the unit would be disbanded. And the people were like, nah, fam, that's bullshit. We're going to stay out here until we get justice and tear this whole system down. Respect. Here are the ways that we can help their movement. Post and share information. Use the hashtag NSARS to not only read about what's going on from locals on the ground, but also when you're sharing information. Awareness is key right now. Contact local senators in Nigeria, and you can do this by going to bit.ly slash NG senators, and the N, G, and S are all capitalized. Donate if you can. From Al Jazeera to BBC to Jack on Twitter, every news site and legit source in Nigeria was mentioning and sharing information from the Feminist Coalition. Formed in July 2020, these Nigerian feminists are championing for women's equality and representation through all facets of life. Visit their website, feministcoalition2020.com. There you'll be able to donate. However, it is via Bitcoin. They provide you with information on how to go about it. Clearly, this is for security reasons. You can also follow them at feminist underscore co on Twitter and at feminist.co on IG. Also, there are several funds on GoFundMe that you can donate to. I'll be sure to provide all the information on social at LA Unmastered and on the website at launmastered.com slash BLM. America, I know we are fighting our own battle right now, but we have to help others. All Black Lives Matter. Full stop. Ah... The chill in the air, the force of the wind, the sound of the leaves dancing across the street and crunching when being stepped on. It is the perfect time of year 
to be scared shitless. <laughs> I fucking love Halloween. As soon as October 1st hits, I start celebrating by watching horror movies. Now, my favorite time period for horror was the 90s and early 2000s. There was this new genre created, teen angst horror. Yeah, in the 70s and 80s, a lot of movies were centered around teenagers, but it was just a different vibe. You had Carrie, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Evil Dead, Prom Night, and of course, my all-time favorite, Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddy is an evil fuck. Like, murdering, murdering you in your dreams and then in turn real life? And he was a total perv, but he was hilarious. He is by far the creepiest and best horror movie character in my book. So now the teens in this movie, for the most part, were also optimistic, looking to party and have a good time. Woo! Back then, the music wasn't really a big part of the movie. It was more so focused on the score, which makes sense. You get like one song while they're driving to the random house in the woods or campsite or right before their car breaks down. But it wasn't like a backdrop. All that changed in the 90s. The very first horror movie I saw happened to be the very first movie I saw in theaters, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was definitely seven years old. My dad really had me out here seeing any movie I wanted. Respect. It wasn't scary at all, and I mostly was just focused on that yellow leather jacket I wanted and Dylan McKay, aka Luke Perry, because I was also watching 90210, but that I wasn't supposed to be doing. R.I.P. to Luke Perry. I love that man so much. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer was basically Valley Girl, but with vampires and no Nick Cage. Buffy is a teen cheerleader contemplating her whole life while she fights vampires and falls in love with an angsty outsider who has a soul patch. So good. The music definitely added another element to the movie. I Ain't Gonna Eat Your Heart Out Anymore by The Divinals was used during her workout montage, I believed. It was like empowering soft rock. The song that plays while they are dancing in the gym is called Little Heaven by Toad the Wet Sprocket. Gives me all the same feels as Gin Blossoms or Counting Crows. These bands know how to do love songs because not only are they romantic, but they're so dramatic. Listen. This soundtrack also had Party with the Animals by Ozzy and Lights Come Out of Black by Pantera because it was a vampire movie and these vampires were cool as fuck. Hello, Paul Rubens. But as we entered the late 90s, the music continued to become another character in the movie. In 1996, the craft was bestowed upon us. It is one of the greatest movies of all time, period. I loved every single one of those witches. Yes, including Nancy's crazy ass. She honestly was just looking to fit in and needed to just love herself and gain some confidence. But what she did with the bugs and the spiders? Uh Uh-uh, bind her ass forever for that shit. And for me, having Rochelle, played by Rachel True, was everything. Yes, her and Bonnie, played by Nev Campbell, were supporting roles, but Rochelle had her own storyline. And who doesn't love to see a racist get what's coming to them? Nonetheless, she was never just the black girl. In her coven, she was her own person and loved. That shit was very important for this preteen black female horror lover. And spoiler alert, she didn't die. The movie opens with Tomorrow Never Knows by Our Lady Peace, which is a perfect example of the type of alt angst music I speak of. The most memorable song for me in that movie was How Soon Is Now by Love Spit Love. The song came on when Chris, a.k.a. Skeet Ulrich, a.k.a. King of 90s Horror, tried to attack Sarah, played by Robin Tooney, in the car in the middle of the woods. This song is, of course, the cover by the Smiths, but Morrissey's racist dumpster-loving ass gets no love for me. 
For years, I didn't even know this was a cover. And I honestly prefer it over the original. I am human and I need to be loved. Just like everybody else does. Another unforgettable moment is when the four of them are walking down the hallway slow-mo. I had to look up the song and I saw that it was Dangerous Type by Letters to Cleo. Now, I only know of this band because of Ben, a.k.a. Adam Scott on Parks and Rec. He always wore the band tee when he was depressed. However, when I listened to it, I knew this song. She's a lot like you. The Dangerous Type. She's a lot like you. They are definitely in the cardigans category for me. Again, super 90s. And the last track that stands out to me is Horror by Space Hog. It was when Nancy was going to exact revenge on Chris for what he did to Sarah. And she shows up at the party, walks up the stairs, and this tune is playing. It's right before the creepy ass glamour slash I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry scene. Space Hog has a very trippy rock style here for it. As I'm going through this soundtrack, it's wild because a lot of the songs on the album were actually used in the movie. You can see that shift in horror films went from score and soundtrack being totally separate to almost one and the same. Speaking of Skeet and Nev, let's talk about another legendary 1996 teen horror film, Scream. I love every single one of these movies. Yes, even the third one in Hollywood, which was weird and made no sense. And a lot of people slept on the fourth one, but I loved it. Emma Roberts is really coming into her own as a horror star. There is one song in the movie I want to go off about, but y'all got to wait until top five. So during the scene where Billy sneaks into Sid's room, you know, would you settle for PG-13? <laughs> In the background, if you listen, you can hear Gus Black's angsty alt-rock horror version of Don't Fear the Reaper, originally by Blue Oyster Cult. During this time period, you start to see a little more integration of electronica and techno being used in these movies as well. So you have songs like Artificial World by Julie Cruz and The Flow, Better Than Me by Sister Machine Gun, and First Cool Hive by Moby. So you see, in the late 90s, as we started to enter into a new era of film, it was the same transformation for music. Okay, so I just need to give a real quick shout out to Tonic because they were really a perfect example of this time period. Scream 2 featured their song Eyes of Sand on that soundtrack. But I'm sure all of y'all know, if you could only see the way she loves me, then maybe you'd understand. Yes, laughed this way about her. Oh, okay, I'm going to not, because I'm about to sing that whole damn song. And for the record, the acoustic version of that song is my shit forever. The first Now compilation put me onto it. That album was live. Let me just say that too. And the last 1996 film I want to mention will only be discussed briefly. Love you forever, Reese Witherspoon, but fuck Marky Mark forever. I'm so mad that he's trash. Like, hate crimes on your record trash. And I'm all about people getting older and changing their ways. But if you read what happened, like how he, when he was 15, he chased and threw rocks at three little black kids while calling them the N-bomb, hard er 
or how two years later when he was 17 on two separate occasions, he attacked two different Asian men with a pole and beat them. And for a while, he was out here trying to get it expunged from his record. Bruh, no, you live with that. You sit with that. This year, he had the audacity to say, I have made it right. How? By serving 45 days of your two-year sentence and then appropriating black culture afterwards with good vibrations? Damn, I did love that song, though. But not anymore. And then you got Alyssa Milano, and it's just like, girl, what are you doing right now? But Fear was that movie. And that soundtrack was clutch. To me, the king of this angsty alt-rock horror genre I speak of is none other than Gavin Rosdale himself. Bush was all up and down these movies back in the 90s. In Fear, Come Down was played when he came to pick her up from school. Oh, that scene, I was just like, oh man, that's so cool. Loving me, get it wrong, she got me right back down the sides. Sleep all day, let it fade. Who is there to take your place? No one knows. Okay, I'll stop. But the chorus was fucking lit. I don't want to come back down from this cloud. I love that band. Love that man. Is it me or do him and Eddie Vedder have a similar voice? Or am I just singing it like that? Hmm. Things to ponder. And probably the most memorable song in that movie was the cover of Rolling Stone's Wild Horses by The Sundays. Again, another song I didn't know was a cover for years. But this song was when they were on the roller coaster and he was pop lock and dropping it on Reese, if you know what I mean. I will never forget her on the go on the roller coaster gasming, and then you hear wild horses. The Sundays are very Mazzy Star to me, another staple in the 90s movie game. Fade into You has been in everything from Starship Troopers to True Blood. And I was trying to figure out what movie it was used in when there was a couple slow dancing. Y'all, it was Angus. Do you remember that, Jem? Oh, what a good movie. In 1997, I Know What You Did Last Summer was released. Instead of a creepy, what's your favorite scary movie, phone call, like in Scream, you get little notes that say, you guessed it, I know what you did last summer. In the opening credits of the movie, you have Toad the Wet Sprocket again, this time with an alt-rock cover of the Beatles' Hey Bulldog. There were a lot of covers used during this time. I think this is a trend for horror movies that we are still seeing now, but we'll dive into that a little bit later. You'll also find Our Lady Peace on this one too. This time, it's their tune Clumsy. Okay, straight up, I didn't really love this soundtrack. I think the best thing about it was Proud by Korn. This soundtrack did feature The Offspring and Soul Asylum, who are also on the soundtrack for my absolute favorite teen horror movie of the 90s, 1998's The Faculty. Okay, first and foremost, you got Josh Hartnett. He is my bae, my boo, forever. I ain't never seen anyone make long sleeves under a short sleeve polo look so damn good. He was so smooth while he was selling those little drug pens. Mm. Then you got Sean Hattesey, who got all sexy when he became an alien. Elijah Wood was the perfect, perfect nerdy kid trying to save the day. Jordana Brewster was a classic popular bitch. And Clea Duvall nailed her role as cool, I don't give a fuck outsider. 
And then you randomly have Usher as a football player. And Avi was not mad at that because he's been my day fucking one since my way. And on top of a perfect cast, the music from this movie was fire. You got The Kids Aren't Alright by The Offspring. So perfect for the movie. Chance is thrown, nothing's free, looking for what used to be. Still it's hard, hard to see, fragile lives, shattered dreams. Okay, y'all know the song I'm trying to sing. Shirley, that bitch Manson, was on there with her track Medication with her band Garbage. It is definitely a slower, softer song of theirs. Stay Young by Oasis is also featured on this album. And nothing says 90s drama like Nolan Liam Gallagher. Flagpole Sitta by Harvey Danger, another now that's what I call music OG tune, was featured in this movie and it just fits so perfectly. I'm not sick, but I'm not well, and I'm so high, cause I'm in hell, but my favorite part is paranoia, paranoia, everybody's coming to get me. Back to Soul Asylum, though. They have a dope-ass remake of Alice Cooper's School's Out Forever. They keep the classic rock element of this track, but modernize it just a bit. And my favorite track from this movie is also another cover, which I will tell you all about in top five. So you see, the music from this time was a lot of alt-rock grunge. So like post-grunge, I guess. I don't know. It was heavy and hard, but with this deep sexual and sentimental element to it. So while working on this episode, I was thinking about Brandy's character and I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Yes, she was a supporting character, but she had her own plot and identity as Carla outside of Julie, a.k.a. Jennifer Love Hewitt. And she survived. It got me thinking about the black female final girls. A final girl is the one left standing and surviving after the murder and mess. It got me thinking about Tales from the Crypt's Demon Knight. Jada was the final girl in that. I believe the first black final girl we ever had. I've seen this movie once back in the day. Don't really remember much else besides her dope ass short blonde haircut. I may need to revisit that movie. So I decided to check out the soundtrack. It all made sense. You had Pantera and Megadeth on there. But then I noticed Filter was on there with a song called Hey Man, Nice Shot. And this is not a track you expect from a band that gave us. You want to take my big because So I looked up the song and ended up down a rabbit hole. So here is a brief history about Hey Man, Nice Shot. Trigger warning here, I'm about to mention public suicide. Filter was formed by ex-Nine Inch Nail guitarist Richard Patrick. Many believe this song was about Kurt Cobain, who in 1994 committed suicide by a self-inflicted gunshot wound, allegedly. I say allegedly because that Kurt and Courtney doc I watched a few years back made me side-eye everything I knew. However, although released in 1995, it was written in 1991 about Pennsylvania treasurer Robert Dwyer, who was indicted on several counts of bribery and racketeering amongst other charges due to an accounting contract he oversaw. In 1987, he called a press conference the day before his sentencing and handed two envelopes to his staff. He reached into one of them 
and pulled out a revolver. As people began to panic, he said, if this will offend you, I ask you to leave the room. He then put the gun in his mouth and committed suicide in a room full of reporters and on live TV. That makes the song all the more eerie. Speaking of Tales from the Crypt, we have to talk about Tales from the Hood. The 1995 cult classic was made up of vignettes which told stories about domestic abuse, police brutality, racism, and other issues that plagued the black community. Side note, had no idea that Spike Lee was the executive producer on this film. Clarence Williams III plays the mortician who is sharing these tales. He's basically the Crypt Keeper. Clarence Williams III has always terrified my soul ever since he portrayed Prince's dad in Purple Rain. Also, did y'all know they made a second Tales from the Hood? Shit, I just learned that they made a third this year. I watched the second one last year, I think. This time you have Keith David running the show. He is a damn legend in his own right. He's been in many of horror movies. The Thing, They Live, Pitch Black. But you'll absolutely know him if you Google him. He's actually in one of the scariest movies to ever exist to me. Requiem for a Dream. Like, does anyone else consider that a horror psychological thriller movie? I've seen that movie only two times in my life because it's all too much. But y'all remember Keith David? For sure. Remember when Jennifer Connelly went to that party at the end of the movie? It was Big Tim's party, a.k.a. Keith David. You're welcome. Anyway, the second Tales from the Hood was hilarious and a mess. They did do one about white privilege, and it was pretty creepy. But these stories were mostly ridiculous but the soundtrack from the original tales from the hood bruh straight fuego first of all you got old dirty's back by none other than odb yo y'all remember when he took a limo to pick up his welfare check what mtv show was that that i don't know i like made me think about it i fucking miss 90s tv so damn much then he's on the album again with the entire wu-tang clan with let me adam you also got Hot Ones Echo Through the Ghetto by The Click. And y'all know I love me some E-40. Uh, Big area. But while going through the music of the soundtrack, I noticed something strange. There was a song called The Hood Got Me Feeling the Pain by Havoc and Prodigy. I was like, why not just say Mob Deep? And why is Prodigy spelled P-R-O-D-E-J-E? So I was today years old when I discovered that there's a rap duo from South Central known as Havoc and Prodigy. No relation to Havoc and Prodigy of Mob Deep from New York. And they were around at the same time. What's wild is that they both released their first EPs in 93. And from this article I read on theboombox.com, we still don't know which group really came first. Fascinating. Okay. So then you got the mythical horror movies of that time. So werewolves, vampires, warlocks, etc. In 97, we got An American Werewolf in Paris, which is a remake of American Werewolf in London. The original is 10 times scarier for sure. If you have never seen it, please give it a try. It's creepy as fuck. The remake was again just American teen angst horror, but abroad. Tom Everett Scott plays the lead, and he was definitely all over the 90s. Hello, guy, and that thing you do. He was in Dead Man on Campus, which I feel like a lot of people did not see, but I fucking love that mess. With Mark Paul Gossler, a.k.a. Zach Morris, and Lachlan Monroe, who played every messy-ass frat boy character known to man from the 90s into the early 2000s. And let us not forget, Tom Everett Scott was Michael in Boiler Room, which is technically the character played by Leo in Wolf of Wall Street. 
Yo, Boiler Room? That may be Giovanni Ribisi's best role, in my opinion. My boy Vin Diesel, you know, actor turned house music star, is in it as well. And most importantly, the perfection herself, Nia Long. So, an American werewolf in Paris walked so trash werewolf movies like Blood and Chocolate and Breed could run. But it also gave us one of the greatest horror movie songs of all time, which I'll tell you about later in Top 5. Back to the introduction of electronica and techno in the late 90s films. 1998's Blade is a perfect example of that. In episode 3, I talked about New Order's Confusion Pump Panel Reconstruction Mix, aka the Blood Rave Jam. But this soundtrack is basically just the score of the film. And then you got some techno and drum and bass artists thrown in there. And you have The Edge of Blade by Mystical and Deadly Zone by Mob Deep. It's honestly a perfect mixture of songs for the movie. Since we're talking about vampires, there's no way I cannot mention 2002's Queen of the Damned. First of all, Aaliyah. That's it. Still breaks my heart to this day. And I do believe she still had some scenes to shoot before she died. Aaliyah was everything. She would film Queen of the Damned during the day and then record her album, Aaliyah, at night. I miss her all the time. She literally made me feel okay about being androgynous about my style, but all about my femininity. Okay, so in this movie, the vampire Lestat, aka the HVIC, decided he wants to become a rock star. His music is obviously poppin' and wakes up Akasha, aka Queen of All Vampires. Akasha wants him, some other chick wants him. It's actually quite absurd. Then he lets people know he's a vamp, and then that becomes a whole other issue. I don't know, but this movie was how I discovered the Deftones. So, fun fact, Jonathan Davis of Korn actually voiced the vampire Lestat. Slept So Long is so damn good, and I love it. I see hell in your eyes. Taken in by surprise. And I love the scene where Aaliyah was dancing to System by Chester Bennington, another voice I miss on the regs. She was moving her hips like in the Rock the Boat video, but slower, more like a snake. But my favorite jam from this movie was Change, House of Flies. When I heard that voice in the movie, I was like, but wait, who is this? This song is everything. To this day, this is the song I imagine being played in the background while I'm being seduced by a vampire or werewolf or some shit. I watched the change in you. It's like you never had wings. I'm so sorry, Chino. I was just trying to honor the song, not ruin it. My bad. When I finally went to download the song by searching for Change Vampire Lestat, probably on LimeWire, might be, I learned that the actual band is called Deftones, and that is where my love for the band began. And I just need to say something about 2005's The Covenant, which is about warlocks and something about their magical balls dropping at 18. Yo, straight up, I've seen that movie at least 10 times, and I still can't tell you what the fuck the movie's about. First of all, you got Tim Riggins, Nate Archibald, some other random hottie, and my early 2000s obsession, Stephen Strait. That's his actual real name. He's so damn fine. He was this pretty boy, but had this deep ass voice. He was also in a random indie movie I loved called Undiscovered. It was about an aspiring actress and musician who fall in love in Hollywood. 
I mean, you got Shannon Sossaman, who's just life, Ashley Simpson, and excuse me, Carrie fucking Fisher. May she be resting peacefully. This movie got terrible reviews, but I loved it, obviously. All I remember, aside from the fact that they're warlocks, is that they were on the swim team. That scene, I remember vividly. Not the dialogue, just them getting out of the water and talking in their speedos. I remember Taylor Kitsch, aka Tim Riggins, rode a motorcycle, and his girlfriend was Jessica Lucas. She was on Edgemont for all of those Canadian teen drama lovers that used to watch it. Um, It was on ABC Family. Y'all definitely saw that. Love that shit. She's also in Cloverfield and the 2013 remake of Evil Dead. I love a black horror queen. I do remember a scene with spiders coming out of her. Um, Yeah, no idea. But man, do I love that movie. To all my single people who enjoy the male physique, cuddle up with yourself and give this one a whirl. (laughs) Now, as Twilight-esque as this movie got at certain points, the soundtrack was pretty dope. It did have a lot of breakbeat electronic music. Think like The Prodigy. There's a track called Faster by Jules X and Predator by Frontline Assembly. But then you have a song like Death and Resurrection Show by Killing Joke, which is 100% that angst horror rock I've been trying to describe. Sexy, hard, and dark. Finally, this soundtrack features the man who truly united horror and music, Rob Zombie. Lords of Salem is on this album, which, by the way, that movie of the same name is awful. I'm so sorry, Rob. I love you, your music and your films so much. But that one was not it. And the soundtrack has More Human Than Human by his band White Zombie, which I think has been in almost every 90s movie. Look it up because I can't even attempt to try and replicate it. So let's talk about Rob Zombie Horror Director. His first and most recent films may be my all-time favorite of his. 2003's House of a Thousand Corpses was one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had watching a movie. It was just so messed up. It's the lack of compassion and lack of sanity in the murderous villains. The humor and the madness is chilling. Captain Spaulding was that motherfucker though. What an actor. So thankful we were blessed with Sid Haig. What a force. And mm, was I the only one a little into him without the clown makeup? Like something about him. He just towered so strong and scary sexy. Mm. Oh my God. I need to get out this house. I think that's what that just told me. Okay. I love a car broke down. Need to stop in this small town at this random gas station movie. Very house of wax and hills have eyes. This gas station, though, is also home to Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men and a murder ride. Yeah, that seems super legit. But in this movie, we also meet Baby and Otis. Hard crush on Otis as well. I have some serious issues. Horror movies are basically my rom-coms is what it comes down to. I also just love that Sherry Moon, a.k.a. Baby, is Rob's wife. He really made her the leading horror queen in his movies, and I'm so fucking here for it. And let us not forget the lead victim, Chris Hardwick, a.k.a. the host of Singled Out. The murders in this movie were brutal, and I'm not a huge fan of gore, but it's the creativity of them. It's not gross and bloody for no reason. This movie is more so about inflicting pain through mindfuckery. And Tiny? Mm Mm-mm. He gave me so many nightmares. I feel like he was the inspo for that dude in the doorway and It Follows. You know the one, the tall lurker. Mm. I mean, I like. 
Other random thought, True Blood definitely got their opening sequence from this movie, for sure. And shout out to Dwight, aka Rain Wilson. One of the best scenes is when they're chopping him up and playing Brick House by the Commodores. It's so messed up. The way Baby does her little hop and shuffle takes me out with her creepy little chuckle. (laughs) Rob Zombie actually remade the song with Lionel Richie, which is fucking cool. And I love that Lionel was actually down to do that. And my other favorite is the third installment of this movie series, Three from Hell. I got to see this last year when Rob Zombie did double feature screenings in which The Devil's Rejects preceded his newest film. I hadn't seen Devil's Rejects in so long. And I'll tell you what, that movie is really so damn good. And maybe it was that movie when I was all about Captain Spaulding. Remember that scene at his brother Charlie's house? They were partying, drinking. Mm, I don't know what it is. (laughs) Charlie is played by Ken Forhey, another horror movie great. He was the televangelist in Dawn of the Dead, and Rob Zombie casted him again in his 2007 Halloween remake as Big Joe Grizzly. Baby's outfit is so fire in The Devil's Rejects. I do want to be her one year for Halloween. Obviously switch out that Confederate flag on her butt to a Jamaican and Haitian one. And let's talk about how perfect that final scene was with Freebird playing in the background. When I saw this double feature last September, there weren't that many people in the theater and I was in the back row totally by myself. That was some real bravado shit because I don't even know how I did that. That shit was scary. Three from Hell, though, was a perfect ending to the series. We even got Sid Haig in the beginning and it was really a really satisfying send off for him. He died at the age of 80 right before this movie was released. So sad. But Three from Hell is hilarious and wild. You definitely get more into the characters in this one, in my opinion. It's a very Robert Rodriguez feel. Speaking of, Rob Zombie was the one who directed the werewolf woman of the SS fake trailer during the Grindhouse movies. I had no idea. I really did enjoy Three from Hell. I recommend this one to watch during this spooky season. You can rent it or it's available for free if you have Shudder. So I now have Shudder because I did the free trial over the summer so I could watch Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. But here we are four months later and I stay paying that $5 monthly. (laughs) I recommend Horror Noir for every fan of the horror genre. It is so fascinating. And speaking of Rachel True, Keith David and Ken Forey, they were all in the documentary. And of course, the man who terrifies my soul but makes my heart race, Tony Todd, a.k.a. Candyman himself, a fucking legend. Even his role as the mortician in the Final Destination films, epic. His voice and the way he commands fear, shit, just the way he commands you in general, I love it. This doc really starts all the way at the beginning with the birth of a nation, which in reality is a horror movie except the monster was us black people the doc takes you along into black exploitation horror the 80s and 90s and horror classics we were casted in to be a part of it dies into the idea that if you see a black person in a horror movie you know they're gonna die come to find out that is not really the case there is in fact another role we usually fulfill in a lot of horror movies particularly for black men they dig into this concept and it's really cool I'm not giving it away. You've just got to watch it. The doc concludes with black representation in present day horror, which, of course, you guessed it, brings us to the man himself, Jordan Peele. I love that he was a part of this documentary. He has become a vital necessity to horror as we know it today. 
There was a shift in horror with the age of Jordan Peele, but there was a musical theme that remained the same. I will allow Jordan to use his own words to explain the nature of his movies. He said, The scariest monster in the world is human beings and what we are capable of, especially when we get together. If that doesn't perfectly capture the sentiment of Get Out and Us, there was really nothing mythical about the antagonist in either film. In fact, these movies demonstrated the inhumane use of science. Again, there is nothing scarier than a human being with no compassion or remorse. Let's just look at 2020 as a whole. Humans suck, bro. This new genre perfectly depicted the horrors of being a black person in America. I mean, the amount of irk I had from the microaggressions in Get Out, from the my man to the I would have voted for Obama three times if I could have. It was all so damn real. Even the symbolism in the scene with Georgina, who's played by Betty Gabriel, another black horror queen. She is in Purge Election Year, Upgrade and Unfriended Dark Web. All really great films, in my opinion. Yes, even the Unfriended sequel. It was actually pretty messed up. So when Chris goes to talk to Georgina in the room, she starts saying, no, 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 like a short circuiting robot and begins crying, but she's still smiling. If that isn't what it's like to be a black woman in this country, literally screaming in pain and being unheard on the inside and all you want to do is just cry, but you smile through it. Get Out is a perfect film. Perfect. The score in this film was great too. It was like African drums mixed with bamboo wind chimes. I don't know if that makes sense, but y'all know what I'm saying. Now the score and the soundtrack are one in the same for Get Out, and it's composed by Michael Abels. There is actually only one recognizable song in this movie. With his movie Us, which full disclosure, I did not love, I watched it twice in theaters and another time at home. It just didn't click. I think it was trying to be so many things that nothing really landed. Certain things made sense, but others left you completely like, huh? But why? However, the best thing it gave us was a spooky ass cover, which again, you'll have to wait just a bit to hear me go off about. So originally, while I was working on this episode, my conclusion was going to be that Jordan Peele created the creepy covers for horror movies deal. But as I'm reminiscing about these soundtracks, I realized that this is something that has been hand in hand with horror movies for a long time. It was actually kind of cool to see. However, what Jordan did do was open up a world of creepy horror covers of R&B and hip hop joints. He truly did add so much to the horror movie genre down to every last detail. And he's a horror buff and probably picked up on this trend long before I did. He used his platform to open up the door for all black talent. 2021's Candyman should have been released this month, but director Nia DaCosta, who will also be directing Captain Marvel 2, get it, wanted to push it to next year so everyone can enjoy it in theaters like it was meant to be seen. But I'm like, girl, ain't nothing in this world predictable. And even by, th by then, capacity may still be limited. Come get your coins now and let us have something good in 2020. We'll pay the $20. The trailer for the movie features a spooky version of Say My Name, which, my goodness, how perfect is that? Tricky, tricky, tricky. What movie is that from? <laughs> I do love this mix, though. Say my name, say my name. 
If somebody's there, then tell me who. Dun, dun, dun. Bing, bing, bing. I love it. Did not do it justice. If horror movies are Edward, the music is his scissor hands. They are attached and will be forever. I hope you enjoyed this musical trip down Elm Street. Here are my top five favorite songs from horror movies. Number five, Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Scream. Honestly, I clearly have nothing on my mind besides Tommy Shelby and the Peaky Blinders. But not only is this the title track of the series, it was definitely the theme song of Scream. One of the scenes I love featuring this track is when they are going on curfew and the song kicks in. It sounds like right before a duel. Everyone is scurrying and everything goes silent before havoc wreaks. You hear the bells chime. Ding! Dun, 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 dun. The song sounds very psychedelic, but with like a Western twist. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. Ding! Y'all know exactly what song I'm talking about. It definitely adds something to the movie, and I couldn't picture it without it. Number four, Redbone by Childish Gambino. Get out. Now, up until this movie, I was like, this is a boo-boo vibe. Chilling with your partner, loving up on them. It always reminded me of Bootsy Collins' I'd Rather Be With You. Yeah, I'd rather be with you. I'd rather be with you until I'm through. Oh, yes, I do. But when it's used in this movie, the part that you are immediately drawn to is, but stay woke. Ah, niggas creeping They gon' find you Oh, catch you sleeping Oh, now stay woke If you've never seen the movie before He's in the shower So you're thinking it's boo-boo time But when you go back and watch it again It makes all the more sense Stay woke Pay attention They will get you when you let your defenses down It was right at the beginning and it is a flawless opening to the film. Number three, Another Brick in the Wall by Class of 99, The Faculty. Class of 99 featured the man himself, guitarist Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine. It had Lane Stanley of Alice in Chains, R.I.P., What a Voice, I really did dig that band. Stephen Perkins of Jane's Addiction on drums. Martin Lenoble of a band I've never heard of called Porno for Pyros? Well, he was on bass and Matt Serletic, who was a legendary 90s and 2000s rock executive and producer, but he's a keyboardist in the band. The sickest part about this supergroup is that they were only active in 1998 and only made music for the faculty. How sick is that? Even they knew how fantastic this movie was. This Pink Floyd cover is so fucking dope. The song was made for this movie, and the updated angsty alt version is so good. It gives me Nine Inch Nails feels because it's so industrial. They still incorporated the children's singing, which I'm so here for. But you'll notice a difference after they sing, We don't need no education. In the original, you hear that funky-ass bass line. With the cover, you hear the electric guitar and keyboard go in instead. I will not attempt to recreate that sound. You'll just have to check it out. Number two, 
Mouth by Bush, American Werewolf in Paris. Let me be 100% honest here. I think this song took me into womanhood. Till this day, if I hear this song, I am lost all up in the sauce. I think it's one of the sexiest songs I've ever heard in my life. It's just so straight to the point. The music itself is so sultry. It also has that how soon is now thing. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And the best part about music videos at that time was that they were using the actors from the movie in the video as the lead. So Julie Delpy was Gavin's main boo in this video. This song plays when Seraphine and Andy start to get it in. They're making out. It's getting good. Then bam, something starts to happen to him. I won't spoil it for you if you've never seen it. But while they are getting all hot, wink, wink, and heavy, you hear Gavin. Oil metal armor drags me down and nothing hurts like your mouth, mouth mouth your mouth mouth okay i'll stop but you get it it's so delicious 12 year old me is forever thankful for this tune number one i got five on it tethered mix by loonies featuring michael marshall composed by michael abels us i know when you heard this for the first time you tripped out This mix is fucking everything. It's just so damn good and very creepy. I have it on my music library. And when it comes on shuffle, sometimes I need to turn it. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, not today, devil. Like, say my name for Candyman. This track was used in the trailer for us. But how they use it in the movie is so damn dope. It began playing during the fight scene between Adelaide and her tethered. It was fantastic. It was a ballet, which is a dance reference throughout the movie. The choreography was stunning. The way that Lopita moves with and against herself is beautiful. And to my fellow ballerinas and dancers out there, how bad did you want to create an entire piece using this track? I love how the song starts and you hear creeping in. Then it's the I got five on it. Dun, 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 dun. Creeping in. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I seriously love that tune so much. Again, another song, when you cut it just right, will chill you to your core. And if you have seen the movie, you understand the importance of five on it. To listen to these songs and leave your top five favorite horror movie tracks, visit leonmaster.com slash top five. And that's the number five. You can also find me on Spotify at leonmastered and listen to the top five playlist there. Thank you so much, my little ghouls, pumpkins and vamps for listening to episode six. I am so grateful for you and your support. As always, this show would not be possible without Zachary Mezzo, who composed the LA Unmastered theme song and edits every single episode. Please find a direct link to his music by visiting the sleeve and podcast sections of LAUnmastered.com or simply visit soundcloud.com slash Zachary Mezzo. 
There are two quotes I want to leave you with because they are quite unnerving and will make you think. The first is from The Telltale Heart by my deceased ex-ghost friend, Edgar Allan Poe. And have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the senses? Hmm. Always makes me wonder if people are truly mad or is true sanity maddening? And finally, this quote from science writer Arthur C. Clarke, which has always been bone-chilling to me. Two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in this universe or we are not. Both are equally terrifying. With that said, may you have a happy, happy Halloween and may all your nightmares come true, only in the sweetest way. And if you say LA in the mirror three times, I'll send you peace, love, and music and tell you to stay doing it, but like in a spooky way.